0: Our Bible reading today is from Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 41, and it's on the back of your service sheet. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you, listen carefully to what I say, these people are not drunk as you suppose, it's only nine in the morning, no. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, Wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day.
1: It's great to be here together. Uh, if you're a guest this morning, my name's Les. Um, I'm the assist, pastoral assistant here and um, it's a great pleasure to look at God's word on Easter Day together. When I was a kid, one of the songs that I was taught, I was actually taught this in school choir, which is a bit suss when you hear what the song is in a second. One of the songs that I was taught to sing was it was a sea shanty. It was, "What shall we do with the drunken sailor?" Who Hand up if you know that? I'm not going to sing it for you. What shall we do with the drunken sailor?" And it's a bit of an odd song, isn't it? particularly to teach to like eight-year olds. I, I remember this in school choir, has verses that talk about um, put him in the longboat until he's sober, stick him in bed with the captain's daughter, and it carries on like this. What are we going to do with the drunken sailor? Well, you could kind of ask the same question at the start of this passage. What are we going to do with these bunch of drunken, out of their mind, crazy people who are shouting out about some dead guy who's alive again? That's right where this passage starts. In fact, if you look at verse 13, if you've got a Bible in front of you, or I'll read it, verse 13, the, the, uh, the verse that comes directly before this, people say of, of the disciples who we read about in this passage, they were made fun of, and it says that they'd had too much wine. Well, this is not actually that they were drunk at all. What we're looking at today is not your typical... Uh, Easter Bible passage. In fact, normally we would open up one of the Gospels and look at the, the last couple of chapters where it talks about Jesus' resurrection appearances, like what John shared with us at the start of the passage. But I chose this passage today because this is Jesus' first... So this is the first time that the announcement went public. This is the first time that one of the leaders of the church actually got up and spoke that Jesus is risen, as we're going to see today. Now what this is following on from is a scene. It's 50 days after Jesus had been resurrected. And it's about 10 days after the story that John told us finished, where Jesus has been ascended to heaven. And what's just happened is the disciples have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And as they've received God's Spirit... They've started to speak. They've started to speak in the languages of all these different people. And as they've spoken in these languages, they've proclaimed this message that Jesus was dead, he was crucified, and he is now risen. And so that's what the the accusation is is about. That's why they say these guys are drunk, because they're all speaking gobbledygook. They're all speaking these different languages. And, And to those that haven't believed, they're like, what's going on here? But this was the point that the disciples were finally ready to go public with this news. And it comes right at the time that Jesus has given them his spirit. And the reason Jesus can give them his spirit is because he's not dead anymore. My aim for this morning is to realise that obviously these guys aren't drunk and to speak of Jesus risen isn't to be out of your mind. It isn't to be as if you were drunk, as if you were speaking nonsense. To speak of Jesus risen is to speak of Jesus being alive today as in fact he is. To see that Jesus' death came with a purpose, and to see that Jesus was risen for a purpose. And so we're going to ask a better question. Not do, we do what do we do with a drunken sailor, but what do we do with a risen Jesus? So let's pray to that end. Loving Father, we give you great thanks that on this Easter morning, we can come to this part of your word Lord, that we can find encouragement, and I pray that we might find that and more, that we might find conviction, that we might be built up in our faith. Lord, that you might renew in us the realisation that you are alive today and that you're working among us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So at the start of what we've just read, Peter's gotten up to give an answer. He's gotten up to answer these accusations that these people are out of their mind. That they're drunk. Peter says, no, this is, not, this is not something that's obscure. This is not what shouldn't be happening. This is exactly what God promised. And to do that, he's gone to a prophet in the Old Testament. He quotes there the prophet Joel. Did you like that in one Bible reading we actually heard from four different parts of the Bible? I thought that was pretty good. He goes to the prophet Joel. And what Joel had spoken all those years before is now being fulfilled as these people are speaking the message of Jesus in the languages of those people that are there and can understand it. Verse 18, the second part of it, gives us a a kind of a clear summary of what's going on. Joel had written, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. They will speak the word of God that, that his king has been risen to life. And the clincher in what Joel wrote comes in that very last verse of the quote, verse 21. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, these guys aren't just proclaiming that Jesus is alive, but that Jesus' resurrection demands from us a response. Why does it demand a response? Well, this is where Peter gets to the heart of what he wants to say, verses 23 to 22 to 24. And I want to slow down and look at these because this is the gospel message. This is the truth that we celebrate today. Look at verse 22 with me. Who was Jesus? Well, Peter says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you By miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. You saw him, Peter says. You were healed by him maybe. You saw the miracles that he did. You heard him speak. You heard him teach. Jesus was God's very own son. He was accredited to you. There was no question over who this man was. And then, verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God, by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Not only was Jesus God's son, but God gave him over to us. And what did we do with him? What does Peter say to the crowd? You killed him. You put him to death. Sure, the Romans did it with the help of wicked men. He allows that. But you are the ones that are responsible. His blood is on your hands. And that's true of all people, that is true of even you and I. His blood is on our hands. Why? Well, sin, our sinfulness, is our total rejection of God. From the very beginning when Adam and Eve first denied the place of God in their life and made that choice to rule themselves, they rejected God. So when God gives his own son to us, what else would sinful people do with him but to crucify him? What greater way can you reject Jesus but to put him up on a cross and to let him die? Can you go wait with mum? Thanks, mate. What else would you do with Jesus but to put him on the cross? See, sin is not just a list of a few bad things that we do. Sin is not just the little mistakes that we make here and there. And it's not just the things that are kind of like socially acceptable, but we kind of know are a little bit naughty. Sin is our total rejection of God. And it invades every single person's heart. But that's not the end of what Peter had to say. Look at what verse 24 says. But God raised him from the dead. The death that we gave to Jesus could not hold him. It says there he was freed from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. To say that he was freed from the agony of death, that is to properly understand what death is. Death is not just the lights going out. It's not just ceasing to be alive anymore. Death is the eternal separation that flows out of our rejection of God. It is saying we reject God, well, God in turn gives us what we want. He gives us over to that and rejects us. That's the agony. Jesus himself recognised this on the cross. One of the things that he screamed out was, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? That's what our sin deserves. But Jesus, in his resurrection, was set free from it. He never deserved it, and it was impossible for death to hold on to him. And so we understand that his innocent life was given for mine. It's his life given for mine on the cross. And so, if Jesus came to life again, then he must be alive. Peter doesn't want us to just know. He didn't just want the crowd to know and I can't just say to you that Jesus came back from the dead as some kind of final party trick or some kind of final punchline that really God is more powerful and that he won. Peter wants the crowd to know and we want to know that Jesus lives today. The Bible story of King David is where peter goes next and there's a good reason for it david was a king david was probably the biggest king in the old testament he's the little guy that fought off the giant if you know that story but otherwise he was made king over all of israel and he ruled it he was by no means perfect but in his rule god promised that someone on his throne would endure forever Verse 30 says, But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. God had promised that someone would secede David whose rule would never, ever, 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 ever end. Now we know that it's not David. Peter makes that point pretty clearly. He said, David, his tomb's in this city. You can go there and visit it if you want. Buy a souvenir for me. I don't really care because David died and never came back to life. But this Jesus, who we crucified, lives right now. And he's taking that place on that throne. Peter explains it from that psalm that's quoted there, Psalm 16. Follow through verses 25 with me. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Clearly that could not be written of David because his tomb is in the city. But David writing this ahead of time of Jesus makes it clear that death could not hold Jesus down. God would not let it happen. And so we see at the exact same time as humanity is responsible for the death of Jesus that God is in complete control of that and that God wouldn't let it be the last point of the story. God was in control of Jesus in his death. God did not abandon him to death. God has indeed made known to him the paths of life. And so... Peter explains that David wrote this about Jesus and he goes on to call him Messiah. Messiah is that rich word. It's the exact same word as Christ, just in the Hebrew language. Often this has been translated as Christ. But whatever it is, it is the king that God has anointed. That's who David and Peter are testifying that Jesus is. Jesus is, Peter's telling us, has been enthroned. He has been exalted. He is now ruling. And that explains exactly what precedes this, why the Spirit is doing this thing through the believers, because Jesus has given them His Spirit, and He can give them His Spirit because He lives. Because Jesus lives, He has commenced ruling as King, and it hasn't stopped To this very day. Look at verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The question has changed as we read on here. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They weren't thinking these guys were drunk anymore. These They are now cut to their heart as Peter has explained to them what Jesus is, who Jesus is. They are cut to the heart and they plead with Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? The people at this news were cut to the heart. And to be cut to the heart means to realise in your very own being, in your very own person, that this news is personal to each one of us. That indeed our sins held him there. But that he is risen and he now calls on our life to respond. Now the thing about being cut to the heart is that it can bring a great relief to us. This means that there is now no shame in being honest before God. We've got nothing to hide from God. We, you know, we're sinful. We crucified his very own son. We've got nothing to hide. We've got nowhere to hide. But he has re- resurrected his son for us. We may feel guilt, but we too are set free from, free from that. Maybe at times we'll feel too proud to admit it. We'll feel like, oh, if I really believe that, then I'm going to have to call myself a Christian and I'm going to have to suffer the stigma of that. I'm going to have to be called one of the crazies, like these guys were at the start. Oh, you bunch of drunks, you are talking nonsense. Even worse than that now. Christianity isn't just a fool's game anymore. It's actually considered offensive in our society. Don't you go talking to me about what you call sin or what what your Jesus did or your fairy in the sky. It's actually offensive in our society today. But that shouldn't worry any of us because it's true. Because he really is risen and he is risen and he is more powerful than any of that. Peter's command in response to them takes three forms. He says, repent, be baptised in the name of Jesus and receive God's spirit into your own life. Let me explain what each of those things mean. Peter replied, repent and be baptised, every one of you. To repent is to take that turn where we turn our back on sin. When we're not caught up in our shame and we can admit it, and we realize it for what it is, and we turn our back on it. It's that change of of mind. It's not about changing our actions. It's not about getting ourselves cleaned up, ready for God to accept us. It's that change of mind to say, God, you're right. Sin is wrong, and I turn my back on that. And then he says, Be baptized, every one of you, Into the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. To be baptized into the name of Jesus. Now this is bigger than water baptism. This is bigger than what John the Baptist was doing, flushing people in the Jordan River. It's bigger than the sprinkling that you might have got when you were a kid. Or the dunking that you've got at some point in your life. This is to be immersed into everything that Jesus did. To have your life on the cross with him and resurrected to life with him. To ask that your sins will be forgiven and be assured that they indeed will be. And then the final thing that Peter says, you will receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit, that he will now reside with you. You will have God in your life. He will be close to you. Look at what verse 39 says. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. When Peter said this, wasn't he talking about us? Aren't we the ones that were far off? Aren't there more who are far off? This promise echoes throughout history. This promise is like a ripple that keeps on impacting people all through the world. And this promise is indeed for every single person in this room. Do you recognise this call on your life? When I did, I remember I've shared some of my testimony before and I'm happy to talk to you about The circumstances of me becoming a Christian, but I remember the distinct moment when it all made sense to me, that I saw my sin before God and I saw Jesus as my Saviour. Up until that, Jesus was answering a a problem that I didn't actually realise that I had. But when that all made sense, I remember that I could not help but to respond. I could not help but to receive what he'd done for me. If that's you and you're not a Christian, you don't consider yourself a Christian, but you can hear the truth of this, then my encouragement to you is to realize that this promise is to you and just talk to God and say, Yes, I receive what you've done for me. I receive you today as my Lord, as my Messiah, as my Christ as the one that was sent to save me. And don't just stop at that, but tell people about it. Because this promise is not just for you, but for those who are far off. And maybe it's someone in your family that is far off. That's, you know, for all intents and purposes, an atheist. They don't even believe that God exists. Maybe it's for your wayward child. Maybe that's the one that is far off. Maybe it's your spouse. Whoever it is, this promise is for them. So tell them what God has done in you and join. Don't go it alone. God has given us one another to be on this journey together, to follow him together. These last couple of verses are really, really significant, I think. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them. It says Peter said, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Even after all this, there must have still been people in the crowd that just wouldn't have a word of what Peter was saying. And his plea is rich, isn't it? Save yourself. There is a Saviour, so latch hold of him. It finishes by telling us that those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Many, many people believed and they were baptised with that symbol of water and of washing, being washed clean. How could 3,000 people all of a sudden say they believed in the man that they saw publicly humiliated on a cross? How could that happen unless Jesus himself is alive? Unless Jesus himself by his spirit was working in that crowd. When the spirit is proclaiming through them this resurrected Jesus, Jesus himself is at work in his people. I didn't just choose this passage this morning because it's the first time someone got up publicly and said, Jesus is risen. The, reason, the second reason and a further reason why I chose this passage is because I want us to remember and I want us to realise that the resurrection of Jesus is not just something we commemorate as something that has happened. I want us to remember that this was not the end Of Jesus's life but this is just the beginning of what Jesus has begun to do and is still doing to this very day in our world this was not the end of the story this is the beginning of the story and it's a story that's still playing out in your life today and it's playing out in the lives of anyone that will share it with if you're a Christian Never forget that Jesus is alive, that you have relationship with him this very day. And if you're not a Christian, if you've come along to church because someone's dragged you here because it's Easter, or just because you were curious because it's Easter, Jesus is alive. And like Joel prophesied, everyone who calls on his name will be saved. And because he's alive, you've got someone that you need to answer to. And we'd love to help you do that. Let's pray together. Loving Father, we give you great thanks. Not just for the boldness of these men, and not just for the outpouring of your spirit, but Lord, we thank you that in Jesus coming to life, Lord, that sin has been dealt with, that the punishment has been served And there's new life beyond it. Lord, thank you for being in control over the death of Jesus. And thank you that while it happened at the hands of wicked men, that you used it to achieve for us what we could never, ever, ever do for ourselves. Father, Lord, let us know the richness of that and let us come to you as our risen saviour. Lord, teach us to cling tighter and tighter to what you've brought us. And teach us, Father, to hold it out. Hold it out to anyone and everyone that is around us. Lord, we thank you that by calling on your name we might be saved. And Lord, we ask that that promise to us and to our children and to those who are far off light, Lord, might continue to spread. Lord, that it might continue to ring out and be true and that people would know you because you are indeed alive for us to know. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.